Hi everyone, welcome back to Chat Shit, Get Fit, Chat with PTs. This is the series where we chat with a wide range of health professionals about a wide range of topics. This week we sit down with Jace and talk about his pet peeves, which include having a dig at me, in her jest of course, discussing people's behaviours, mindset training and mental health, and we do finish off with, of course, the secret questions, which are going to uh, certainly blow the roof off. Anyway, here's a quick intro into who Jace is. Jace is an officer in the British Army Royal Engineers and fitness has been a key part of his life for many years. He has trained soldiers in the most demanding conditions in a range of environments all around the world. He particularly enjoys participating in CrossFit and British Army Warrior Fitness as well as lots of outdoor activities such as surfing and snowboarding. From this he decided he wanted to offer more when it came to rehabilitating his athletes. A natural progression was to be able to support his athletes through soft tissue therapy and formal mindset training. These ventures have led him to coach functional athletes with Mindset RX, which we do talk about in depth later in the episode, and support the recovery of athletes as a therapist. This has taken him around the UK, supporting athletes individually and at large-scale events such as the London Marathon. Jace has extensive experience and qualifications in a range of diverse areas, including GP exercise referral and obesity and diabetes management, level 4 PT, strength and conditioning coaching, mindset and life coaching, CrossFit level 1 trainer, British weightlifting level one coach and he is currently working towards his level two, level five sports and remedial massage therapist, outdoor exercise instructor, spin instructor and I'm sure he's going to add to that list with his first for learning uh, and basically developing as a both uh, coach and athlete. You're going to have to uh, bear with my voice this week as I'm coming towards the end of my COVID symptoms. You may have noticed them sort of starting up in last week's episode, so yeah, you're going to have to bear with that for the uh, two hours of this podcast. So uh, yeah, let's get into this week's episode. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. How are we doing? All right, how are we doing? You alright? I'm doing good. I'm I'm doing good, thank you. I mean, uh, it's exciting times, ain't it? I mean, it, it is three what three days before it comes home. So uh, before it comes over, you're alright. It yeah. is coming home. It is the eighth of July. Uh, by the time this airs, it would have come home, guaranteed. There's no way I've jinxed that at all. Touch wood. And if uh, if if by any chance it doesn't come home and it goes back to Rome, then we can just put it all down to Bill. <laughs> Why do you put it all down to me? That's what we this do. be a very awkward listen. I, for I'm delegating the blame as an adult does. It's very generous of you. <laughs> but yeah, at the, at the time of recording, we did just beat Denmark uh, last night, which was a uh, very exciting times. It First was time indeed. Been in the uh, European Championship final. Uh, that's England. That is. Uh, by the time this actually does air, yeah, the final would have happened. So we've either we've yeah. either fucked it. <laughs> we've probably brought it home. <laughs> I mean, fingers crossed. You know, strike while the iron is hot. There will be some very very loud households on Sunday evening, won't there? I'm assuming. Either way, whether it's positive or not, I guess. Yeah, either way or not. Yeah. I mean, the pubs will be a different atmosphere if we do lose or, or win. <laughs> well, it's going to be messy regardless, I'd say. It is, yes. It is indeed. Thank God I've got a late start. Anyway, <laughs> let's um, let's move on to the episode. This episode's not about football. We've actually got another guest on with uh, part of our Chatting with PTs uh, series. And we've got Jace with us this week. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Apologies initially for the horrendous video that you can see. It was all set up perfectly, but naturally my uh, excellent IT skills have completely wrapped, and so you've got to deal with this instead. 
don't worry. What I'll do um, in the post-production, Jace, to fit with your character of being uh, an officer in the army, or as we were going to come on to, we might have to call you Jace RE or Sir. We'll come on to that, though. It's fine. We can. Oh, yeah. What I'm going to do in post-production, I'm going to edit you on. Nice little beret. Um, little, <laughs> little rank slide uh, with 15 pips. With Bill's photoshopping skills, we could even give you a cheeky promotion. We could even add to those uh, rank <laughs> slides if, 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 if you want. I mean... Um, but yeah, I mean, this is like, you are the highest ranking person we've had. We've had quite a few military on this podcast before, but you are the highest ranking person. And uh, I have to admit, it's just a, it's probably the first time that I've been nervous on this podcast. Usually the guests are nervous, but I am absolutely bricking it. Like I feel like I've been pulled into the office here. It feels like I'm about to be asked about that suspicious amount of ammunition found in the bush in Salisbury Plain all over again. I mean, I, I am nervous, you know, not that I'm admitting any, to anything. And if I was admitting to anything, it'd be Bill I'd be fed under the bus because I know that, you know, just in case you are interested, he's got a copious amount of um, uh, combi tools stashed away in his home. <laughs> who doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who doesn't? doesn't. Who doesn't? <laughs> they end up well. everywhere, don't they? Bookmarks, door stopper, door wedge. <laughs> Anywhere but your... Uh... Anywhere but your, your your cleaning kit. That's where they all go. That's where they disappear from. <laughs> bookmarks <laughs> but jc i would have done in the intro i would have given everyone the full details of well a little bit not the full details but a bit of background who you are jace you would have uh, made would have up some very, lies i would have made up some lies absolutely um we're going to get into your story though in more detail of course that is what this episode is all about but if you are a long-term listener you will know how we start these chat with pt series and that is getting straight into your gym pet peeves jace now we we want your top three but what we're going to do is we're going to rank these on our very um, polite <laughs> ranking system. Um, it's the RPC scale. So, Tom, do you want to, you want to tell our guest all about that? Yes. So, scale? just like the RPE scale, we have the RPC scale, which is the rate of perceived country. The things that you find the most frustrating, we scale it from 1 to 10, with 1 being, this is not bad at all. I can sleep at night, no problems. 10 being... Nope, this is keeping me awake at night. I need to commit violence on an industrial size scale. Um, it, we did used to go by another name, which we're not going to mention, but RPC has proved pretty... Uh, it's, it's actually the most tame title we've got for it, isn't it, Bill? So yeah, is, that's yeah, the RPC right. scale, and we're numbering it from 1 to 10, 1 being least problematic, 10 being absolutely problematic. We have broken it, though, Bonsall. We have broken it once before, though, Jay. So just a warning, if you do decide to go above 10... We do have to do something which is reverting back to an old scale, which we'd, oh, yeah. we'd, we'd recommend you don't do because we've some, tried some to avoid... Uh, save for special occasions. It is, you're right. But unfortunately, we've, I think we've mentioned it more in this series than we did before. We, uh, we cancelled it. So um, <laughs> we'll, see, we'll, see how, we'll see how it goes this week. But it's not looking too good. So what we'll do is we'll go straight into number one. Hit us. What's your, your first gym pet peeve? All right. Um, I don't know if I'm going to give them in order, but I'll give them as as I'm thinking about them. So the first one, uh, very much military-focused is uh, people that think, or soldiers specifically that think, that PT is a nause rather than a, a great opportunity. So you get three PT sessions a week, as standard, three lots of 50 minutes, plus sports afternoon if you're lucky. But the amount of complaining that I hear about having to attend PT, that really grips me, absolutely grips me. We've had something similar before, haven't we, Tom? I uh, mean, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I can't look at Bill, and I was waiting for Bill to say Civvy's pay thousand for this. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I mean, the, I mean, the, the first thing you, Tom, 
Yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, uh, the first thing uh, the first thing you said there was uh, when soldiers think, and you could have just ended it there, basically. <laughs> uh, that, that's that's pretty high up there anyway. <laughs> we shouldn't be thinking, you know. But no, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm going to stop there and let you carry on. <laughs> so how much would... Is this, is this a 10 for you then, Jason, would you say? This, for me, um, we, we are, we're, up, we're up there. We, we are up there. I think we're in a bit of a unique position in that... As much as it grips me, there's nothing that people can do about it because they've still got to turn up anyway. Hmm. So I'd say it's probably about an eight. I think I'm, I'm saying up there as well. I think we had, I think it was Dean, was it Dean? Yeah, Dean we had on yeah. a previous podcast in the same series and he had a science similar. And he's obviously, um, if you've heard his episode, uh, he's a physical training instructor. So he delivers the, the PT that you're talking about. And his one was something along the lines of when you're trying to deliver a lesson and people just have a little chin oh, mark yeah. in the background. Yeah, yeah. I and he, was, he said he, and he was, he just said he, yeah, he just, he loses it. And I, you, as, as we can, as we conclude with that one was you're getting something for free delivered by a trained professional who's delivering, you know, education, uh, you know, an actual session, structured session for you for free during your work time. So technically you actually are, you are getting paid to do this session, which as Tom joked about, if he's paid thousands for people do actually pay money for, one to one PT sessions or group PT sessions, whatever that is, um, and people do take it for granted. But you said people were forced to turn up anyway. But I still think they are high up that scale. It, it sits high for me, knowing like you know, literally knowing how much people pay and and how much people that aren't in the military go out of their way to do this kind of stuff in their own time. And it's not just that; it's like it's a massive chunk out of your day anyway. So, you know, you turn up for PT. Let's say it's first thing in the morning. You're then given maybe half an hour to an hour to go away, get shower, changed, come back after naffy. You know, your morning's already done. Like that's an absolute gift. I don't know why anyone would see that as a negative. Well, it's normally eight to half ten is that window, isn't it? Including as you said, all the shower and stuff. So that's a massive window of your morning. Yeah, um, and then you've got a little, <laughs> a little bit of messing around before an early knock off for lunch. And then you're back into not really do much after lunch. So you're only really working a couple hours a day when you look at it like that. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty bad. I mean, yeah, I'd probably say, I just think from my point of view, um, I've stopped caring in that respect. <laughs> like, when, cause I, the right if you, so somebody who delivers PT on a camp, when you first do it, you know, like when you do anything, you get really excited. You're like, yeah, let's do it. Let's get let's get people, get them involved. But you slowly realise people don't give a fuck. The novelty wears and off. Then, yeah, and you're like, why should I bother? If they're just going to sit there and they're not going to fucking bother their ass, you know, I'm not, it's, it'd be different if it was like a one-to-one PT client and they were doing that. You'd have to be like, okay, well, they are paying me to do this. If they want to be a fucking nuisance about it, then fair enough. I mean, they're paying me, aren't they? But when it's these little shit bags on a fucking PT session, you're just like, okay, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> just <laughs> You may be verging into my uh, number two top fever. Oh, oh, we don't want to spoil that shit. <laughs> put, put yourself in the hurt locker. Oh god! I, I'm going to say I'm probably going to say I was going to say seven simply because it's annoying, but I just don't care. Like if they if they're going to say it's a Nordstrom, <laughs> fuck them. I mean they're the ones who they're the ones who are going to suffer at the end of the day. Um, well, they probably won't, but they but you know what I mean. Yeah. They're, not, they're not going to get the benefits. They, they're not they're not taking advantage of something that when they do leave, they'll realise actually that was a really good thing. Um, but hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Oh, you're telling me, mate. What about you, Tom? What are you thinking? Do you know what? I, I was going to say, I'm, I'm hovering between seven and eight because uh, a lot of a lot of nuance to this and it's to do with, uh, do you know what? 
10 years ago when fitness in the army was just about being absolutely smashed to pieces, not really caring about periodization, progression, or even the strength aspect. It was just running and heels, push-ups, sit-ups till failure. I can understand like it's not, it is something to dread and it's not very enjoyable. But now that now the British Army is taking this new approach, like more of a strength, a proper, a proper strength and conditioning aspect. Um, and, you know, like some places have now been kitted out with squat racks and barbells, and it's now more about building up over time. Nowadays, I would, I, I could appreciate it a hell of a lot more. And it's like, yeah, actually, this is, this is actually one of the perks of the role of, of being, of being a serving soldier. Um, but also I think it might depend on like, who you're being trained by because like most job roles in the army it's, it's like any other job really you get really good people in a job role then you also get some really awful people in a job role i've had really really good ptis uh in, in my career as a reservist um but at the same time i've also had some really awful ones so when i've had really awful ones training me it's been like I, I, this is just not motivating for me at all because all I'm thinking about is how fucking stupid this guy is, just RP10 all the time. But then when I really enjoyed the educational aspects and the proper periodized version of training where it's been explained why we're, why we're doing what we're doing and how it's going to help us with a job role and what we can do to make, to build that self-efficacy of doing it outside of PT as well. Sorry, like doing it in our own time away from as a, as a unit, etc. So that way you're more inclined to do it by yourself away from the other guys, etc. Bit of a tangent there, but yes, it's to me, it's like hovering between a seven and an eight because I, I, I love training. I love fitness. So straight away I'm biased, but I do understand that some people join the army because it's very romanticized, but they don't realize when they get there, actually, you actually, yeah, you've got to be physical, not just for the five minutes you see on the TV adverts. You know, you're still putting in <laughs> yeah. the fizz away from when you're out of green kit, etc. So yeah, it's uh, seven to eight for me. Pretty even across the board, though. That'd yeah, be, that'd be interesting. It's interesting we've had that one before, though. It is interesting. I'll, t- I'll take a seven to eight. I'll take a seven to eight. What was your uh, What was your second one, Jace? Number two. Uh, to flip that across and kind of take it one step further uh, is is the risk that you fall into this category now, Bill, is that PTIs that don't appreciate that being a PTI is a privilege and I would just classify them as shit PTIs. And that's either because they don't put in the effort, they don't research enough, or they just kind of turn up, think it's about thrashing people, uh, and they're not taking the right approach. What what I would consider the right approach with it. Yeah, no, I, I could be. I'm sorry, I'll def- defend myself now before people start thinking I'm one of these fucking shit people. <laughs> don't bother. <laughs> don't I, even bother. I don't. What, I don't. But when I said I don't care, said. <laughs> right? Let me let me re- re- rephrase it. So at the moment, the only PTI deliver at the, my, my uh, job role is reconditioning PT. Now that's where people who have come back from injuries and they've got to do build up PT before they join the unit again. And I enjoy that because it's a very small group and. The people there actually, they want to get better because a lot of them, they can't do certain things in their job because they're stuck on this recon PT cycle. So they're, they're actually, they care about getting better. So they're normally, I can normally deliver really, really good PT sessions for them. I do put a lot of effort into it simply because of that personal pride. And even when I give large scale PT sessions, I still deliver a good session. But what I say when I don't care is, is that 
It's if I see someone maybe mincing or something, I'm not going to go and waste my time and start going, do 100 burpees and start yeah. screaming at them, telling them running. Because I'm not wasting my time doing that one because if they hadn't hurt themselves, I get in trouble anyway. And plus, but if they don't want to put the effort in or they don't want to do that, that's nothing that, pff, tough. I mean, they've got there's enough people around them to tell them if they've got if they've got their bosses with them at work uh, doing PT with them, they can grip them. I mean, you, you don't want the rest of the blokes to suffer just for a few disrespectful people. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if they, yeah. if, I mean, if they're being disrespectful, it's different. You pull them up on it. But if they're just like being a bit, a bit lazy or they're just sort of moping around, I'm, I'm just like, yeah, I don't care. If you don't want to take advantage of a session I'm putting on for you, then you're missing out because it's a bloody good session. Well, obviously, I'm going to set up my bias, you know, opinion. But most of the sessions I do are pretty good. So if they're not going to take advantage of that, fuck them. You know, it's, <laughs> so it's no skin, no skin off my back. I think to a degree, the and and it is the exception that that I see that are in this category. But it's probably to do with the selection program for those that get sent on all arms PTR courses. And it's obviously it's all in-house. And like you say, historically, it would have been who is the fastest and uh, can do the most pull-ups is best with weight. They're probably the person that would get sent. I do think there is a shift now to taking a, a lot more of a... Um, a kind of considered approach to who should be going because who's the right individual, not necessarily who's the fittest individual. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it does, uh, it definitely stands out for me as someone that just, you know, hasn't put the effort in, hasn't really thought about it other than five minutes before the session. If you turn up to a session and they're just starting to set up for it, you're probably fucked up. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I, I see it, and where I work, I'm not going to name people, obviously, because uh, that'd be very unfortunate. Dave, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we just call it Dave. <laughs> but I, I see it where I work, and I've seen it in other gyms as well, where the, the PTIs um, don't actually know what they're doing in terms yeah. of because I, on that course we've spoke about it before. While there is some really good parts of the course, and the instructors are really, really good, it's very easy to just fall for it. Like if you're really shit before you go, and you just sort of just bumble along do your little lessons to just to just to the standard that's required they don't want to fail you because they know that units need PTI so it's very difficult for you to fail so what they'll do is they'll just sort of guide you along just ever so slightly you'll get through even if you do crap which I've seen there people do rubbish lessons which would be useless deliver, uh, delivering in a unit but they still get through mm-hmm. and now these people are given lessons and so someone like yourself who knows a bit more of what they're doing, you sit there and you're like, what's going on? What, what are they actually doing? And it's, it's unfortunate, but I don't, it's, it's, it's difficult. And I think it's simply because units, a lot of the time, are screaming for PTIs. And when you're screaming for PTIs, it's, if you want to increase a standard, you've got to accept there won't be any. And unfortunately, people who look at numbers and they look at like slots that they need to fill in, they just want to fill them slots. You know, And quality sometimes takes a hit because of that, I think. I think it's fair. I think it's fair. I think for me, that definitely sits higher. Uh, that is probably a nine, pushing nine and a half. I think that's fair enough. I think I think from a point of view of, yeah, it's good that people, if people are annoyed about being there, it's worse for them if they don't want to be there and then they're then given a shit session. Because yeah. some, yeah, well, we we always say, oh, sometimes you know, anything's better than nothing. But sometimes, if you just go out to a session and they've just got your leopard calling for an hour, I mean, there's not there's not much really there to be gained apart from uh, sore knees and elbows uh, and a bit of mental resilience training, perhaps, because <laughs> no one likes the leopard call for an hour. So, yeah, I, I can see I can see how them two link, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, not nine. What would you say, Tom? Would you say, would you go that high? Um, for me, I'm going higher. I'm going for I'm going for ten. And uh, I have to say, like, uh, Jace perfectly summed up 
my gripes with some PTIs in a in in the British Army. Uh, but to, to be honest with you, like judging a PTI off of like how fast they can run is just like in a civvy world where you say, "Oh, that person's a good trainer because they've got their own set of abs." Do you know what I mean? But at the end of the day, it's like you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that their knowledge base is you know, the best of the best. Now, they may have a different work. They may have the work ethic to be very fit themselves, but it's a completely different work ethic when you're training other people. And it's, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it's just like with the old, uh, with the old PFA. Well, now, even now with the, with the new person, with the fitness test, it's like, it doesn't matter how fast you can run in short and shoes, you can still be a shit actual soldier. You could come first place in the run in trainers, socks, shorts and a t-shirt, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a fantastic soldier in the field. And I think that goes exactly the same for PTIs. You could be great at pull-ups, handstands and all the other weird stuff that Bill, you're not doing your little shorts. But I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be great at communicating or have the work ethic to just be sensible. And another thing, and this is what you brought up, Jace, which hit the nail on the head, and that is keeping up to date with the current research, especially when the British Army is currently going through this shift with their physical training where they've gone more down a research route. It's no longer just about being hard for the sake of hard against smashed up and down hills. It's like, okay, what can we do to decrease injury rates here, etc.? and how can we periodise the training more injuries, more of a stealth, uh, stealth, more of a strength aspect? And that is by doing what the current research is kind of hinting at, basically. A PTI shouldn't just be about being able to run fast and wear a vest. I'm afraid a lot of the work you should be doing comes from getting onto your computer and looking at the current research, keeping up to date, etc., etc. It's a never-ending journey of learning. Once you pass your test, it does not end there. You have to constantly learn. And that's why, at the same time, there are some fantastic PTIs in the army because they are doing the work at the desk as well constantly learning and being able to think critically so yeah what you said there just um, pretty much hit the nail on the head and yeah it's a 10 for me because there's ob- there's just no excuse for it there's no excuse for not constantly learning yes yeah, fair enough and you are you are right that, that's what needs I to happen it doesn't happen it, <laughs> <laughs> it, it doesn't happen um unfortunately there are there are there are ways that the um physical training corps and the army does try to keep people up to date with sort of deficit training yeah. but it's not enough for i mean some as i said the, the qualification lasts 10 years in the army um so if you're doing only a couple of days a year of deficit training and that's all you do then i don't think that's enough and that probably does warrant the nine and tens i'll say a nine though just because I, I think i feel like 10 is is, is top top it's end pretty so we'll go, I, think, I think if you were to address this you would then go some way to addressing my first issue so if if everyone in a you know a perfect world all ptis were really enthusiastic really really well researched and really wanted to be there then that would reflect in the sessions they give and therefore the soldiers turning up would be more inclined to do it because they'd get more from it in a very different way so i think one kind of addresses the other to agree which is why i think this gets a higher score for me yeah, I completely agree with that. And I've seen that first time as well of different PTIs taking the same set of people and then having a different response to that. And then that could be a good thing and a bad thing because one, uh, one regard, they're like, okay, that's what a good session looks like. But then 
they start kicking off about the other session because they're like, well, that was really shit, that one now. Now we've had a good one. And then they, that, when they normally have the shit one, they're like, well, this is just shit now. I want the good one. But then you can't have it. It's just carnage. But realistically, so think, yeah, that should needs- spur the other PT on to pick up their own game and think, well, what am I yeah. doing wrong here as a PTI? Yeah, it, do- yeah. Yeah, it doesn't, Tom. Um, it doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it no, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's move on to number three. All right, now, number three, I'm going to go a bit more general. So they, those two have been quite military-specific. Number three is either unsolicited or completely uh, irrelevant advice when it comes to <laughs> I love that, irrelevant. Um, Can so we get an example I'm, of this, Joyce? Uh-huh. Can we get an example of some irrelevant, unsolicited advice? I like that term, irrelevant. This is this sounds like something's happened in the past here. I will give you a prime example. Um, okay, so... I'm not going to name drop anyone because that would be inappropriate. But I, I paid for like a squat package from uh, a well-renowned uh, lifter who also has their own um, so squat. You was it? Group. Oh, was we squat you? No, no, no. <laughs> uh, this this was like a year or two ago, or something. Uh, it was like increase your um, increase your max back squat something like that and i was interested to see what they were pushing so yeah paid for this also joined the group as a bit of a proxy from that and in there was a whole host of people posting videos about their kind of lifts asking for advice and tips and stuff and um at least 98 percent of the advice that comes out of that is not from the person that's selling the product it's from everyone else in the group that probably has no purpose or no uh, no business <laughs> the one occasion that i did see this individual giving advice they clearly hadn't watched the video that the guy had posted they had just put like a generic it was like a clean or something and it was um keep the bar close to your body on the left but if you watch the video you could then see the guy literally scrapes his shins for the entire thing and then this guy comes back with just exactly which part of my lift wasn't it close and then there was no reply so it's either completely unsolicited so you've got no business adding advice to that situation or it's so irrelevant that you might as well have not bothered anyway i like that we spoke about unsolicited advice before but i like the addition of irrelevant as well because that that just shows you um that just shows a lack of understanding a lack of caring i'd say especially from that individual that if it's if it's completely irrelevant, then what what is the point? You're just wasting everyone's time. But yeah. uh, unsolicited. What did we rank that before, Tom? On the old scale, I honestly cannot remember, but it's going to be pretty high, no matter it what. It was pretty high. Yeah. Imagine someone giving you unsolicited advice, Bill. Join your lifts. Hmm. I I think it does depend in a way because some t- if it's a, if it's a safety thing, and then when I say safety, I'm not talking about like. Oh, but the way you're lifting is dangerous. I'm talking, for example, if you're about to, I don't know, do something and you haven't seen someone in the way or you haven't seen that person or I don't know, you haven't you haven't seen that object in your way and you're about to stand up and smash your head off a of fucking, I don't know, off something. You know, so, something along those lines and someone comes up to me and says, oh, you might want to maybe move back a bit. I'd say that's, that's a bit different. But in, in regards to, we spoke about in the other episode about form and things like that. If someone was to come up to you and say... Well, wouldn't deadlift like that? Pull, you pull your back doing that. Yeah, that, that's a. I mean, we're we're talking um, old scale territory with that one. Um, I think it's the way you deliver it as well. By the way, yeah. delivery of the unsolicited advice. If they come across very arrogant in the way they deliver that unsolicited advice as well, then I think that's even more infuriating. 
um, simply because, yeah, the arrogance, isn't it? It just, <laughs> it's just even more annoying. Yeah, um, I, th- I think I would always. Um, so there's a there's a great. I don't know if you remember. It's quite an old song. There's a, a song uh, by I think it's Baz Luhrmann um, called uh, something about sunscreen. And in there, it's this guy just talking through like his experiences to a, a particular class before they graduate. And he goes through loads of bits of advice. And one of the comments that he makes is about um, be careful whose advice you buy, uh, but uh, like give time to people that supply it or something like that. So he's, he's basically saying the same thing. He's like, be willing to listen to what people say, but then question what they're, what they're actually giving you. I think that one kind of hits this perfectly. If if it's a safety thing, 100% completely agree with it. If it's just a generic bit of maybe think about this, then I'm more than happy to listen to someone, but then question why they're coming out with something like that. If it's a completely pointless, keep the bar closer to your body when there is no point at which it, during that that bar comes away from your body, then you can go and fuck yourself. Well, that's just a generic response, isn't it? That reminds me of if someone was to start coming at you with loads of technical mumbo jumbo, that it just means nothing. It's just, you know, that literally doesn't mean anything. You're just doing a lift uh, and they just start saying absolute buzzword after buzzword of, so if we want to make you move a bit more optimally here, we're going to start. Just, just brace your core. Yeah, just yeah. Yeah, brace your core. Yeah, just absolute buzzwords out of nowhere. And you just be like, all right, cheers. I mean, it means nothing to me. It's irrelevant. And just cause... crack on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, just let me do my lift. Yeah, I think, yeah. But I think that comes along with that arrogance. If people start getting really technical with that mumbo jumbo, that's because they want to. Sh- it's more of them wanting to show off what they think they know, more than trying to help. Mm. So, I think it's going to go quite high. What would you say, Jace? Would you would you go quite high on that one? So, if it's directed at me, then yeah, it's right up there. It's a ten. That's personal. Yeah, and I'm just uh, I'm just looking at it. Then I'm like, oh, this is fucking bollocks. But but it, it probably wouldn't be as high for me. So yeah, it's very it's very much subjective depending on who the audience is. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, it depends on things like yeah, the audience, the person delivering it, their tone, um, what they're actually saying. What do you think, Tom? For for me, I'm just going to go for a straight eight here. The thing is, like, I understand that for a lot of people who do do it. They mean well, you know. They mean well, but I don't care. Um, it's still <laughs> annoying. <laughs> um, yeah. One, one usually, and I do know. So I'm being specific of the word I use here, and that is usually. Whenever I've heard unsolicited advice being given out before, it's usually been bullshit anyway. So it's like probably should be giving out advice if you're not a hundred percent certain that it's going to actually provide any use. You know, because I mean, look, look at the example you just gave, Jace. Like, it was completely irrelevant in the first place. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes people think that they're giving good advice and really just ticking off buzzwords. Like, they, they've just called a call center, Virgin Media, and saying the internet's not working. The person's just reading from a script and not actually looking at, into the issue. But I mean, also, like, um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, keep the barbell close. And it's touching. It's touching your shins just like any closer and I'm fucking shaving my kneecaps off. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I know people mean well, but at the end of the day, the thing is as well, it's human nature where if it, especially, if, now look, if you're, if you're a PTI and you're taking on some, uh, an intake or you're taking on the boys, it's a completely different story. Your job is there to give, you know, advice, whether it's unsolicited or not. But just to go up to someone random in a gym or in a CrossFit box or whatever, and just give them unsolicited advice. It's human nature to straight away be defensive. 
and it can actually people could just double down most of the time. I mean, with me in particular, I understand that some people might mean well. Um, I, I'm I'm at that point now where I don't even get pissed off with it. I'll just give them a thumbs up, thumbs up and go, yeah, cheers for that. Just please get out of my personal space as quick as possible. Um, <laughs> pretty much like what you just said, Bill. Just give them a thumbs up and be like, yeah, cheers, pal. And then crack on with what I'm doing anyway. Just ignore it because they're normies. But I mean, um, yeah, it is it is annoying. It is annoying. Even like as a PT, even as a PT, I've, 99% of the time when I'm on the gym floor, I will not offer advice to anyone unless they're paying me or unless the thing they're doing is inherently dangerous. So, for example, if I see someone in a squat rack and they're taking all the plates off of one side of the plate, but they've got 40 kilos load on the other side and they can see that bar's about a tip, I'll give them a bit of advice because that's the danger zone. But very, very well give people advice just because people get defensive. They get defensive. Yeah, it's not It's not worth the, the aggro, no. is it? I mean, but do you know what? At the same time, in the PT industry as a civilian, that is how you're t- you're told to get clients. Oh, can I just give you a bit of advice on this? Can I give you a bit of advice on that? And in my place of work, in the office, that is religiously told to people. I'll just go up to them and just say, oh, can I give you a bit of advice? Or oh, I'll see you as doing this. Can I show you a better way? And I, I just like, I'm just like, look, if you want to do that, do it. For me, I learnt my first... Within my first week of personal training, I learned not to fucking do that because <laughs> it nearly causes fights. So yeah, for me, it's a it's it's a solid eight, solid eight. Just yeah, don't do it, don't do it. Some pretty uh, high end pet peeves there, Jason. Yeah, those are pretty solid. The top. I had I was thinking about this beforehand. I haven't listened to a couple of your previous episodes, and I narrowed it down from a good ten for those Ooh, to, to try and cast the net fairly wide. I mean, I'm I'm kind of curious now. Well, we then start to get a little bit more, uh, I guess, holistic with it. And we start, I'm starting to think about arrogance, something you brought up there, Bill. Um, I think your your point then, Tom, was quite interesting. You made a comment about being defensive when receiving advice and about that being the default approach. And I think that's quite an interesting one to to kind of explore, really. Should that be, perhaps it is, but should that be the default approach to someone coming up and giving you, you know, pointers and stuff like that? That's, you know, that's an interesting conversation to have. And a part part of me wants to say no, but I can, even though I I don't think it should be the default, I can still sympathise with why people are like that. Do you know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, people's good intentions, ain't it? I think your example of you know predatory personal trainers uh, yeah, just circling around the outside of the the squat rack waterhole to uh, to jump in and get their next client, I, you can kind of see why people, to a degree, would be on their guard. Yeah, but I think if we look at it kind of from a, a much broader perspective, then it's probably an awful lot healthier to to assume that people uh, in that environment are going to give you a bit of advice, question it maybe. Uh, but be be open to knowing that perhaps you don't know everything and maybe someone knows a little bit better. Mm. And I think that's kind of in, in life in general, not specific to, to PT and physical training. Yeah. I don't... I, I'd rather it not be the default, you know, but I, it is, it's one of those things where it is what it is. I don't think it should be by default that we get so defensive, but it is, it is human nature. Do you know what I mean? But I do... That is a good conversation to have, actually, to be fucking continued, because that is actually a really good one. Because <laughs> then we're going to the whole psychology of, of humans, aren't we? We don't like being made to feel like we're doing something wrong. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah, that's a that is a really interesting question. Yeah, I like that. I thought I thought we were gonna have to get a part two here. Have some of these, some yeah. of these uh, more pet peeves, Jason. I'll, I'll try and get the idea. That, that's going to be a re- that'd be a really good Instagram poll, actually. I think that would actually cause a lot of a uh, yeah a lot of shit something to do there, Bill, on Train Primal. I like it. No, I like it. We're, we're definitely um. Should we get offended or should we feel defensive when approaching a gym with uh, advice? Mm. From non-personal trainers, because straight away the personal trainers approaching you, it's like just fuck off, leave me alone. Just flicking business cards at you as they do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah like, My price is only getting higher. What we'll do now, Jace, we'll move on to a bit more of a, a serious note. Well, I say serious, but who knows? We'll find out as we, uh, as we explore some of these points. And that is talking about you a little bit more specifically. Um, we probably will have to get you back on to the rest of those pet peeves now because I'm interested. <laughs> I'm sure the listeners are probably interested at some of these now. But uh, um, I want to start with is your beginning into the world health fitness because I know you as an officer in the British Army, um, but then I also know you do a lot of the physical uh, development stuff outside as well. So what I really wanted to know initially was what came first? Uh, so I guess if we if we backtrack a fair few years, um, I'd always you know been into kind of sports and activities and stuff. Um, I guess my first foray into delivering things was when I joined the military. So I didn't I haven't always been an officer. I joined as a, a sapper uh, almost twelve years ago now. Um, I did my PTI course uh, back in twenty thirteen. I think, ish, maybe 2012, something like that. So I'm, I'm actually still in date, according to JPA. Um, <laughs> I started, yeah, so I then went to work in the gym, uh, on the regimental gym, so I spent a lot of time doing that. Um, went on tour, started the prep work for commissioning, and as a result of that, I then got into, in my own time, doing other qualifications to be able to do this uh, outside of the military, knowing that it wasn't going to be an option or it was very limited to be an option within the military for the next couple of years. Looked at how I could do that outside. Um, That was a whole host of qualifications, kind of one kind of led to another, starting off with a generic level three that everyone does, but advancing up to, uh, to include a whole host of different things like GP exercise referral, obesity and diabetes management, and uh, like a, a raft of different bits and pieces. I'd, I'm also a qualified life coach, you'll be pleased to know. I have no oh. idea what that uh, actually entails, uh, nor do I think <laughs> I'm in any position to be able to uh, to take on that mantle, but it's an interesting course to, to complete. Um, There's a book now. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so that went on for a while. Um, I then... When was it? So I started getting into mindset coaching. So initially just through doing mindset work myself um, with Mindset Rx. I then went on to their coaching program just to kind of learn more about it. Got taken on as a coach and I've been doing that for the last few years. Um, in addition to that, but quite separately, I started doing soft tissue therapy. Um, and I've done that for now quite a few years as well. So we're now in a, a position where I, I kind of got my fingers in a few different pies, but I'm in the fortunate position that uh, because I'm not reliant on one or the other because of my normal you know, day job, um, I can pick and choose who I want to work with. So I'm in a, I guess I'm in a really fortunate position that I don't have to take on 
everyone and anyone that gets in touch. I also don't have to go out there and look for people because I'm, um, I'm very pleased to say that um, I've got a select few that I work with consistently for the reasons that I want to work with them. But that's across that's awesome. a whole host of different things. Mm. Yeah, so at the moment you're just going sort of side by side. They sort of that's interesting. What I'm interested about there is that you, you joined as a as a sapper and then you kind of did the PTI course. Now, how was how was that for you back in the day when you did the PTI course? Then all those years ago, um, was it? So it was. I I think I was still very much at the point where if you could, you know, if your PFA score was either 300 or just below, you were probably the right person to send on the course. Yeah. Um, I think I was fortunate that um, I had, you know, a very different approach to it. And just by default, I was relatively fit to be able to to get through that. Um, and therefore, I was able to bring a different approach to it when I qualified and actually became a, a PTI. Um, but I think having that aspect, that kind of history of, you know, taking hours to set up for sessions that someone's going to turn up sweat for 50 minutes and then leave um knowing the work that goes into it or that i put into it that's why it perhaps disappoints me more to see people turn up now that haven't thought about it until they start walking to you know the gym or wherever beforehand um that's probably why it grips me a little bit more um, and knowing how much better it could be for everyone if if they had you know just thought about it a little bit more. I'm I'm in a a kind of privileged position now where I do get asked to do other bits and pieces. So um, I'm involved in the warrior fitness stuff. I a couple of weeks ago was involved in the defence occupational fitness course that was run on camp as kind of um, brought in to talk about exercise rehabilitation and uh, and a few other injury prevention type stuff. Um, so I can still have an influence to a degree, but that's uh, that's not part of my normal kind of day-to-day military work. That's just stuff that I'm able to get involved in because of the background that I've got. Mm. Oh, awesome. Um, so you're now obviously an officer. Where are you based at the moment, Jace? Uh Up at Whitton, RF Whitton, just in Cambridgeshire. So you're obviously doing this side-by-side now, and as I sent you in the email before this, I know you're part of something called Be Grounded. Um, and at the time of recording this it's just before your year, year birthday is it for that? yeah probably probably around the year marker we're nearly there now so let, let's just talk about that how's that going how did that sort of start and then where do you see that going because you said you're quite happy with the sort of work life balance at the moment with the army and choosing your clients but is this something you want to push as well or? yeah so um so my wife is also a personal trainer she specializes in pre and postnatal fitness um and she's also at the minute, completing her soft tissue therapy course, so it's another thing that she'll be able to add. But it, um, we were we were doing kind of our own stuff that looked to a degree similar, just to different uh, clients um, under different names. So whether that was um, Jace Glazebrook PT or or whatever else. Um, so it, it it just really made sense to kind of bring it all under one umbrella, and it be um, more of a brand rather than one person doing stuff over here and one person doing stuff over here, which, you know, living together, it just makes complete sense, working out the same facilities, the same space. Um, So it was really just an opportunity for us to start slow and and progressively build up and bring in everything under one uh, one avenue. Makes sense. There's more, there's definitely more um, power behind the brand instead of, 
unless you're someone like James Smith, who's got this, you know, notorious <laughs> reputation and you're like a personal brand, it's, it's a lot more power with a brand. You know, it's like, it's like a, just an umbrella name instead of just having one person. Why do you keep putting everyone... that fucking name up on every <laughs> recent episode you up, just right. to wind me up? But yeah, I mean, um, Bill has got a point though. Like it's to have a brand, it can... <sighs> Yeah, a brand can have like certain ethics, etc. It can have like a certain message, a certain way of doing things as well. So, I mean, in regards to like with Be Grounded, I mean, do you have like a certain work ethic or? Um, I think, to be honest, I think we're we're taking it really slow. So, although, like you say, we're at the kind of year marker, we're not in a great rush to um, to kind of you know take on a load of clients and pump out a load of generic um, you know programs and then give the same kind of uh, pointless advice that I mentioned earlier. I think we're both fortunate enough to be able to have a, like I would consider a really good client base of people that we are able to relate to on a very personal level. And so for us maintaining that consistency as we build the brand slowly is what's really important. It's about focus on that quality over that quantity kind of, yeah. And, and knowing that it's, you know, working with those individuals and keeping that high level of service that we do day in and day out is ultimately the brand will come to reflect that in the long run. But we're not trying to put it straight in because it'll it'll just happen by um, by, by default if, if your actions on a daily basis reflect what you want it to look like in the outcome. I think scaling is always an issue, isn't it, of any sort of brand or company? And I think what you've gone for there, while there's no rush needed because of what you're already doing, it's a sensible approach because if you were to then try and rush it, the odds are the quality might, might dip. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. not what you want. By the sounds of it, you've got that really close sort of quality control, that close-knit client base. And if you were to then try and scale, that could hinder that, which is obviously not a good thing. I think scaling in the future is something to, that we'll definitely look at considering what that look like and what kind of impact that's going to have on, on that kind of quality approach. But... Um, but at the minute, I think we're in, a, we're in a good, steady place to be able to carry on with what we've got. Um, so yeah, pr- pretty pretty happy with how it's going so far, to be honest, without really pushing stuff. Have you come across any sort of challenges in the last year or so since when you first started it? Because obviously you've started it in the middle of kind of COVID, really, or at the start of COVID. And then we've had COVID. There's been loads of challenges across a wide range of industries. Has that sort of impacted where you wanted to maybe go with it? Or has that kind of forced your hand? So, uh, so for Rose, who whose primary focus was at the start of COVID or, or the build up and then the initial uh, start was like face to face delivery, that was a massive transition. But that wasn't unique to to that. It was you know that was every personal trainer or every gym was then you know moved to Zoom calls and and online stuff. So I think that the challenge that posed was the same as the challenge that it is for everyone else. Um, I think from a, a soft tissue perspective, that was a complete stop um, for six to eight months. And then we yeah, had a bit course. of a window. Yeah. And then it stopped again. Um, and now, we'd, so I've, I've been able to continue treating. And again, I've been in a really fortunate position that all of the clients that I'd been uh, seeing regularly were really, you know, um, 
like just friendly, I guess, really polite uh, and completely understood and were more than happy because they, you know, it was affecting everyone on such a global scale that when everything started up again, we would then just start up again. Um, and there was, you know, there was no animosity. I wasn't getting asked for refunds for block bookings or anything like that. Everyone was absolutely awesome. But I think that's, again, part of the, you know, the privilege of being able to pick who I want to work with is that if I didn't, if I wasn't in a position where, you know, I'm just trying to take on as much business as possible, then I'd probably have seen more issues as a result of, you know, having to stop treating people. Mm. I mean, something you just said there was um, like, like pretty good. And that was, uh, well, no, we're not good. You've got to hold up some context here. But you said, <laughs> um, obviously, with the, the soft tissue therapy, you had to hold on that because of obviously covid you couldn't be hands-on and it's not something you could do over zoom because at the end of the day manual therapy is exactly that it's it's hands-on isn't it but something you said much earlier than that was that you've built yourself on many different pillars so you've got lots of different qualifications so you've got gp referral and your partner as well of course so it meant that even though the soft tissue had to be put on pause you still had other ways you could continue working basically and this is a something that i've said to many people as well and that is to not just um focus your business on one single pillar because if that pillar gets knocked out from underneath you then your whole not just your your, your business but your life will just crumble but with yourself you've you've done wise to kind of build yourself and your company be, be grounded by having several different pillars do you know what I mean? So you've always kind of got loads of weapons in your arsenal, basically, and just relying on one single thing. I don't think that was really like a conscious decision for kind of future planning. I think that just... Um, just happened so the, to, yeah. yeah. The natural progression of, you know, where education and, and my interests have taken me has, has led to that diversity just because I've seen it's something I want to explore and learn more about. Um, so I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that that's any kind of... Um, you know, high level of forward planning. That's very much just by uh, by default of wanting to look at different things. I've then, you know, kind of landed on the, to be able to have a few strings, if you like. I mean, obviously, with COVID, that was a no one could have seen that coming <laughs> at all until it actually happened. But with myself, uh, with the whole like, you never know when that pillar is going to get knocked out from underneath you. For me, it's always been like a research thing. So, for example, if I relied on one specific method of training and then suddenly research started coming out and then more and more research came out on that particular subject where it just goes to show that actually this isn't as special as what we thought, then I'm no longer relying on something outdated and having that pillar taken from out underneath me. For example, there might be dietitians or nutritionists who, when keto, the ketogenic diet originally became a thing, that was the magic bullet for them. But then loads of evidence came out saying, well, no, like it's nothing magic. As long as you're in like a, you know, a hypercaloric diet, you can still kind of lose weight, etc. You're almost suggesting that you shouldn't build your business on Juice Plus. Yeah, exactly <laughs> that. Because if people suddenly start realising that Juice Plus is a load of shit, <laughs> then that's your pillar knocked out. 
But just kind of, just kind of get what I mean. It's uh, this yeah, is why yeah, I, I I solely believe people should not just build their business on one single pillar. Well, Tom, uh, what we be doing in group chats offline with people like Hannah and stuff, but talking with about certain individuals in the fitness industry whose entire business oh, relies on God. certain models of yeah. training or yeah, certain beliefs course. that have been around for years, and because their whole business relies on it, even when everyone's telling them they're wrong, they have to double down because their entire <laughs> That's livelihood relies. That's your livelihood, on this. so you then have to yeah, double exactly. down. Obviously, yeah. with COVID, you can't just double down on 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 soft tissue therapy. Like this. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> you, just you, you force people onto the treatment. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, you can't really like yeah double down on that. <laughs> but it's yeah, weird, that's like, full respirator. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you'll be fine. Just <laughs> yeah, full res. <laughs> but like <laughs> yeah, fucking hell. But I mean, uh, that is. Um, I mean, obviously, you said it wasn't any like kind of pre-planning for that. But this is kind of an example of why I always recommend to people. Keep on building your business and your educational basis on like uh, several different pillars, you know. Now, I don't mean you've got to be a jack of all trades, but just understand that at any moment, whatever it is you're currently relying on might collapse from underneath you at any point. So it's good to have other ways to kind of say, okay, well, let's go to plan B or C if necessary. Yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah. So going forward, Jace, what would you say is the time frame for your military career? Is it something you're going to do for a full career, do you reckon? Or it depend, you depends gonna... on what day you ask me to, be honest. I, uh, oh, really? I, 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 I get you. I, yeah, I get you. <laughs> there, are, there are genuinely some days when, when it's like, yeah, I'm in, I'm in for the long haul. Uh, and then the next day, you're like, where's JK? Um, yeah, yeah, where's JK? It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it really depends. <laughs> um, I think... I, th- I think a big decider for me is going to be uh, the value order when it comes to a real real concern about the value that I'm offering to a particular role. And, and what I mean by that is, um, is there something unique that I'm bringing to that role that someone else who, you know, it's a completely different situation, doing that role wouldn't be able to do? Am I able to offer something different to it? And if I find that I'm in a position where I'm doing a job that anyone could do and the output would be exactly the same, then that's probably about the right time for me to make a break for it. Because I feel like there's so much potential for anyone to do something unique and provide a unique uh, value at the end, whatever field it is, to get stuck in jobs where, you know, it doesn't matter who's sat in the chair, the output ultimately is the same. I I think that's where the decider sits for me, really. Does that make sense? Becoming just a number. Yeah, basically becoming just a number. Yeah. Bod on a seat. Yeah, no, I get you. See, and another thing you spoke about, though, um, you did a little bit initially at the start, was Mindset RX. Now, are you, are you just a coach of this uh, certain brand, is it? Yeah, so uh, so Mindset RX is... Um, where is how many years ago are we talking now? So I started off, but back before before it was called Mindset Rex, it was called, uh, or the guy that owns it, a guy called Tom Foxley, like lovely bloke, um, former uh, reserve uh, commando, um, really great story. Um, he, I'd kind of reached out to him off the back of a few podcasts that he'd done. This was quite a few years ago, and it was a point where training my training as a whole was very much just physically based and I and there was definitely something more to be had from it but I didn't really know what that more was um and I was uh I was doing a bit of research looking around a few different places and I stumbled across a few podcasts that he's done and a few interviews that he'd done with people around the time that very much led to 
discussions that I kind of thought resonated with the thoughts that I was having as well. So I reached out to him, started working with him initially just as a client. Um, and I think, I think he called it the alpha movement back then. This was quite a few years ago, um, which was, you know, a bit of mindset stuff, but a bit of PT stuff as well, a bit of a, kind of a bit of a middle ground. But now the focus in the last few years is very much a complete shift to Mindset Rx, which is working with functional athletes to be able to uh, improve their mental and physical performance. Um, and now with that company, we've got you know, a whole host of coaches and we um, have a whole range of athletes around the globe um, and you know, offer some incredible programming, some great opportunities and courses for them to be able to develop themselves, which is a really great opportunity. How does this work then, Jay? So because I've, I've seen it before, I've seen you share stuff, I've, I've looked at them before, but I've kind of, I understand what they're trying to do, but I've never understood what, what is the process of this? So what, do, do these athletes get assigned to a mindset RX coach? And then is it essentially just sort of, so what what is the process of being trained in mindset training? I'm kind of just so the, the best, the best way to think it. about it would be that mindset rex has a specific um, a specific way about looking at mindsets and whether that be specific mm. exercises or whether that be specific routines. I won't, I won't go into the details of what they look like, but um, let's say there are a series of exercises that uh, we would teach people to do in in the initial stages. So basically getting people used to um, journaling, uh, reflecting on their wins. Um, right. And then the, the program in the early stages really builds up to um, start from a very simple um, approach that you can take consistently to then add in just different layers and addressing things in slightly different ways. Once you get through the fundamentals of those bits, you can then progress into the DMG, which is the Digital Mindset Gym. And that's where the programming really starts to kick off. So you've got the foundations of what you're trying to do. So your routine practices, you understand what they look like, what you're trying to achieve from them. And you've got coaching throughout uh, doing these entries, these um, assignments, if you like. And then when you move into the DMG, Digital Mindset Gym, the programming steps up. So you'll bring on all of the things that you've learned from that, but apply a really awesome uh, programming um, to how you enact that and as a one of the coaches coach Rachel who's based out in America does the programming for Mindset Rex and she's an incredible coach um, and the stuff that they work through although we're very much focused on functional athletes from a you know physical perspective for me it's incredible to see how the value that you get from going through these practices and this programming has such a massive impact on every other aspect of life you're not just thinking about, you know, maybe we're we're focused on uh, barriers to mental performance in lifting, for example. But a lot of those things, once you've addressed them, will also have a massive impact on other areas. So maybe your work life, maybe how you deal with your relationships, because those barriers aren't specific to doing a one rep max lift. They are ingrained from experiences you've had or um you know thoughts feelings and emotions that you have whether you're conscious of it or not they will have a massive impact on a whole facet of, of different areas of your life and so the the value the transference of all the stuff we do to to kind of help people more rounded uh improve their their approach to stuff is incredible that's why i'm really passionate about it. i really like getting involved with it 
what's your role within them then so what would you what would be your is it do you work for them for like a monetary thing or is it yeah yeah so uh i started off as as a complete volunteer um and uh just because i believed in it so much i was in you know i just wanted to to help people and i was really involved in it and it it got to the stage that um because i was doing so much i had to cut away from the stuff that i was doing before it was be grounded the you know the, the stuff that i was doing and so i now work as a coach um and for me that looks like checking people's entries to a specific program it looks like recording content uh and getting involved in coach development stuff it's you know a whole fa- a whole host of different areas um to be able to work in which is really interesting and the growth is only you know it's only improving we've got um Sorry, Jace. We're gonna stop. I apologise. Tom, we've got the fuck is going on behind been, your head. Sorry, mate. I've been fucking trying to hide the cat. Is that fucking Ralphie? <laughs> it's not fucking Ralphie again. Is no, it? it's a new cat, and I'm really sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to hide him, but he's just he's just clawed his whole way up. I don't even saw my face then. I was trying not to do anything, but he clawed his way up my back, and I've just been biting my finger the whole time. Like, uh, try not to I'm scream. trying this to Jason. All I can see is you like giggling away to yourself. The light behind us, a little set of ears come up. I was in like... pain. <laughs> the cat fucking clawed its way up my back to get onto my desk. Right. So sorry about that. Continue. Not at all. So I'm, having a, I'm having a great time just seeing these ears pop out over your shoulder. Right. Yeah, just ignore the cat. What is it of you in cats, Tom? Right. No, no, this Ralphie is a new one. This episodes. one's a lot better. This is Hauling Oats. What's this one called? Hauling Oats. What's called? Hall and Oats. Why? Yeah. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I couldn't decide on calling him Hall or Oats, so he's Hall and Oats. Hall All right. and Oats. Fair enough. Yeah. Let's see how long this one lasts, though. Longer than the last one, hopefully. What, You're making it sound like I'm a cat murderer. No, hang on a minute. It sounds like I'm a cat murderer. I'm not a cat murderer. Now, obviously, that's exactly what a cat murderer would say, you know, but to defend himself, but I'm not a cat murderer. Um, I just didn't like the other one. Didn't get on. And it's my defence, um, my my defence, like even Bill witnessed when the early days of the yes, podcast, it was a it was a menace. It a menace. Was a menace. You said you used to be able to hear it destroy your house, fucking in the background. That's <laughs> oh yeah, like early episodes, you could actually hear the destruction throughout the podcast. You know, yeah, that was a that was a toxic relationship. This one's a lot better for now. For now. Just wants to, to have a cameo on the podcast, that's all. So the last one, it didn't go down, Will. Jason, <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get back over to what you were saying. So you were saying about how you, your sort of day-to-day stuff looks like checking over people's journal entries or something like that? Yeah, so whatever the programming is, so it's um, the programming uh, will be, bet- well, more often that's six days a week for programming. And so the coaches will rotate around specific days. Uh, there's also, you know, the opportunity to work one-on-one with clients. Um, all of the coaches will do, uh, all come from very different backgrounds. Um a lot of them are CrossFit focused as well uh, in their own kind of fields. So whether that be CrossFit coaches, whether that just be CrossFit athletes, um, but we very much 
initially look at functional fitness as a whole um but like i say we've got you know athletes from all over the globe a couple of games athletes um and it's only it's only improving really that's all it does sound very interesting i'll have um links to this and uh be grounded down the show it's yeah. worth having a look at i've always i've seen this mindset rx about quite a few times and it was always just it just seems like one of those things where it's of course going to be really beneficial but it's just about understanding it more because when people think of training, even now with all the stuff that people talk about the mental awareness we see in society these days, it still doesn't seem like as important as pe- people will pay for uh, people. It's hard enough for people to pay for one-to-one PT and let alone then pay for something like mindset training, which to some people don't understand it. Would just be like, and then, uh, a lot of the time that is the missing link in a lot of people's training. It is, yeah. Uh, training. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah but, pe- but it's, it's getting that awareness out there of how important it is in people's not only training, but you said it impacts your life in general as well. I think, I think this is, you know, this is the, the potential for a whole complete tangent on conversations, much like um, the topic we had earlier, Tom. Yeah, but the- that, that is not ending here. <laughs> I'm getting that up on the Instagram after the episode gets released, yeah. The the emphasis that we have, you know, it's it's entirely based or and always has been on physical training, but and whether that's, you know, in the civilian world or the military world as well and um I do I'm also a mental health first aid instructor and so I've spent a lot of time um instructing people on how to be able to respond as a first aider for mental health uh, issues yeah um and it's you know it's very apparent that this is um within the early stages of actual um tangible training on something that you can't see uh which is probably why it's taken so long to to kind of come into fruition if you like i was gonna say fashion then but i'd like to think it's not just a, a fashion it's it's very much a, a conscious shift onto people's approaches but this is exactly the same way i think people find it difficult to um to be willing to part with uh money on something that they don't see a physical uh benefit from before yeah. they start doing it um which you know you, you can completely understand especially having come out of of lockdown where you know a lot of people are perhaps impacted financially with the actions of the last kind of mm. 12 to 16 months um but if you think about the amount of benefit that you get from going to a gym or just doing physical exercise it's that times you know 10 for taking an approach to your mental uh well-being as well it's definitely something I'm, I'm liking that there's been more um <clears throat> excuse me, more awareness of it in society. I think it's definitely the right way. I think if lockdown's taught anybody anything really is the importance of, of mental health. Uh, we don't talk about it a lot on the podcast because we don't feel like we're in a position to do so. It's a very difficult subject to talk about. Um, and I feel like people like yourself, Jason, who've got that mental health first aid um, sort of training under your belt is in a more position to do so. Um, and with this mindset, mindset RX stuff, I think that once people understand it more and people you know realize the benefits of it i think that will just grow and grow i mean even if it is still in like it's early days but like now more than ever like there's already been like dimension of how covid has kind of brought to light the importance of people's physical health but you know at the end of the day there's also the, the aspect of mental health as well so if anything it's things like this that are coming around at the right time at the right time it's one thing thinking about your physical health but of course there's your spiritual health there's your mental health and you know covid has impacted all of that at the end of the day you know so even though it could be a bit harder to say oh i'd rather impact 
put my, I'd rather spend my money on somewhere I can see like a physical change because that is easy. Let's be honest from a sales perspective, but actually, the, the, the aspect of mental health is just as important. I mean, now more than ever, you know. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I'd, I'd also caveat that with um, it, it, there is you will see a you know a, a definite physical change in people that go through. Oh yeah, God yeah. As well, just just by default of changing their attitude, changing their beliefs, and and changing the way that they address things. Um, I do think that was an interesting comment you just made then, Bill, about. Uh, you said it's not something that you normally talk about on the podcast or mm. have talked about. Um, we, I'd like to think that that's something that, uh, not specifically the podcast, but just discussions around mental health, breaking that stigma and being able to do it, making people comfortable in having uncomfortable conversations mm-hmm. is is very much something that I, um, I kind of try and uh, advocate. 100%. Um, I mean, it's something we probably will do eventually, it's one of those things, though, where for me it's a personal gripe because I feel that a lot of podcasts and a lot of personalities bring up the topic of mental health just as a buzzword and a hashtag. And I personally, uh, I, I, this is me personally talking. If I'm going to bring up, I'd rather do it properly. And I'd rather, yeah, I'd rather do it properly. And I just, I honestly, I don't know how to go about it. To be honest with you, I could, we could do it tomorrow and we can make it a hashtag. And we can use it as a buzzword, but I think that's absolutely disgusting. I think it's disgusting that the same people that are promoting mental health as a hashtag are the same ones that are bullying people, etc., and causing absolute havoc on the social media space. I'm not going to mention names, you know. I mean, I think a lot of our listeners can kind of deduct from there. But yeah, it's it's not a hashtag, but it does need to be spoken about. You are 100% right, and the stigma does need to end at the end of the day. And, you know, I'm happy that when we feel that we're in the right place when we're the right people to talk about it, definitely. Because at the end of the day, it does lead to physical change as well at the end of the day. I, I see those. So when, whenever we, let, I'll give you a little, I'll spin you a little dirt here. Um, <laughs> whenever I deliver uh, the mental health first aid courses, one of the first things that we do, um, so I, I do this on behalf of Mental Health First Aid England, which is uh, an organisation that uh, the qualification comes through. Um, but one of the thing, one of the initial things that you do on the course, a two day course, is that you put, um, you get post-it notes and you ask people to write down their hopes and their concerns for the course. Um, and it's the variant that I deliver is the armed forces variant because that deals with the armed forces community, which is mm. not just serving personnel, but it's, it's everyone that interacts with them. So whether they work on camp, whether they're family, friends, whether it's, you know, the local school teacher, they're, they're all involved in that community. And one of the, the common things that I see come up on the concern section at the very beginning of the course is that um, is around that theme of is this just a fad? Is this just you know flavor of the month? Uh, is there any longevity in this? And that's hopefully something that gets addressed. And we always revisit them at the end of the two days just to see people's thoughts and how it's developed and stuff. But you're, you're not alone in that, in that concern. And the people that turn up to do this course have the exact same thoughts around it as well. Yeah. it's. Uh, I mean, obviously, this is all my personal points. But I do, don't get me wrong, I'm not denying anyone, you know, that is, that is dealing with their own mental health issues, etc., but it has been weaponized by certain people as a hashtag and as a way to kind of justify their own behavior. 
Uh, yeah, but it's definitely been weaponized as a hashtag for some people. Some people do whole talks or podcasts or social media posts on mental health. Then the next week, they're, you know, doxing them online or calling them out online in front of millions of followers and just outright bullying them. So, yeah, it's uh, it's something that really grips my shit, you know. But at the same time, it does need to be addressed. But I just think it needs to be addressed properly and empathetically as well. We move on to another qualification you've got now, Jace. That is something you've also spoken about a couple of times, and that is your soft tissue therapy. Um, so what have you got on this? Level, is that level five? Soft tissue yeah, therapy, level probably? five, yeah. That's, how many levels are there? Uh, so level level six is, I think, like a degree. Um, oh, right, okay. And then level, yeah, it, it goes up from there. For, keeps keeps like, going up. Depends yeah. how deep you can push. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you're eventually like digging right into someone's guts, it's like you're like level 25, whoosh, straight up there. <laughs> oh, that sounds a bit like grim a actually. That's not a euphemism, by the way. You know, <laughs> I just want to clarify cool. that. <laughs> so, what, what I wanted to really know this is uh, just get your point of view completely on this is that. Uh, you're obviously qualified to deliver that form of passive treatment um, and as someone who's, who's in the sort of rehab space as well do you see that sort of treatment you deliver as uh, a superior means to active treatment or do you look at your deliverance of this sort of passive treatment as a supplement or what sort of role do you see this treatment having in terms of people's overall recovery because obviously if people just keep coming to see you it is giving you lots of money which I mean that's the world the way the world works but in the day, I would argue that active treatment always leads to longer term, um, better results. Yeah, I think um, so. Being a soft tissue therapist and being a good soft tissue therapist, I'm not saying that I am, but I think holistically, being a good one, um, <laughs> your business model is completely flawed because you want if it's if we're looking at injury or rehabilitation, um, you want to get someone back to full fitness or whatever full fitness looks like for them as quickly as possible for them to be able to carry on. And therefore, you're trying to get as much value from the sessions and have as few sessions to be able to do that. I completely get the point about, you know, it being a source of income and there perhaps being a conflict uh, in certain practitioners. I'm, I'm, again, in the fortunate position that that's not something I'm concerned about uh, because I not only pick who I work with um, from... Uh, I'm not in any way bragging about that. Like I have a list of people that are waiting for a space to become available. Um, but it, because it's not my primary source of income, it's something that I'm able to do and uh, prioritize people accordingly. Um, I don't see it as the be all and end all for recovering rehabilitation. And I, th- um, I think that's a really key thing because depending on what you're looking at. So chiropractors often think that, uh, in my experience, the way that they approach um, stuff is the right way to do it, and that's the only way to do it. And certain practitioners for soft tissue therapy would say that that that's all you need to get stronger. But then you also have strength and conditioning coaches which think you don't need that stuff, you just need to focus on uh, form and technique, whatever that might be, and getting stronger. Whereas I see it as very much a combination of all of those things. So chiropractors 
can't work in isolation apart from very unique occasions because ultimately if your uh, skeletal system is out of line for whatever reason there's a very good chance that it's out of line because your muscular system is pulling it out of line so whether that be due to a muscular imbalance or whether that be uh, due to poor mechanics when it comes to loading you probably need a combination of those other areas to be able to rectify that problem um, again I come from it from a unique I, I'd say unique I consider somewhat unique in that I have a bit of experience in a couple of different areas that all feed into the way that I treat people so it's not just you know someone comes in and sits on the couch for an hour session um, sometimes it is that because that's what they need but other times it's all right so we're going to look at your movement patterns we're going to do some postural assessments we're going to look at what some clinical tests and see what needs to be worked on and then we'll do a bit of work get you back off the couch we're going to look at your movement again how are we doing from here how can we build up from this and then depending on what they're coming to see me for they'll then leave the session either with work on points for a future session or a consideration of you're probably in a good place. These are the things that you should be doing. If after two weeks you feel like you want another session, then get back in touch with me, but you probably don't need it. Or if it's the other end of the spectrum, that's rehabilitation, I would say you probably want to come and see me for four sessions, three or four sessions spread out over a two-month period. After that, we'll check progress, but I think that's the minimum you need. So it's, it's very dependent what it is, but... Um, I think I'm in a fortunate place where I can approach it from a client-centric position rather than a wallet-focused one. Okay, so trying to make yourself redundant, basically. Yeah, I mean, I mean, ultimately, but the, the the value comes from the fact that I would argue at least ninety percent of the population need it to some degree or another, and whether that's a large amount or a small amount, or the dogs just walked in the room, um, whether that's a large amount or a small amount. Um, they they probably could do with uh, some soft tissue work to be able to help them in some way or another. You think about what we're doing now, we're, we're talking on laptops or computers. Uh, my posture at the minute is particularly poor and uh, I'm pretty relaxed in this chair. Um, if you're doing this for an extended period of time, there's definitely things that you need to do, but soft tissue therapy alone is probably not the answer. It's probably a bit of that combined with a bit of strength and conditioning work. Uh, and maybe in extremis, you want to go and see some other types of practitioners for other stuff as well. I mean, for like long-term listeners, they probably know our stance on the, the idea of poor posture and alignments and even screening. But even though there's differences there, this is going to surprise some people, but I'm, I think a lot of people assume that I'm just like absolutely against soft tissue therapy, and I'm actually not. I'm against some of the claims that are made behind it by not all therapists, but like the ones that are like, I kind of what you just said there about chiropractors, like, oh, they believe that has to be done a specific way, etc. Like everyone's kind of, not everyone, but certain people are more dogmatic in their own views, and a bit of outdated with the evidence and the research. Um, I, I think soft tissue therapy has its place, but I just don't agree with those people that kind of opposite of what you just said is that where they string them along, basically. You know, like how you said, like, uh, I'll see you for like a little bit, but the idea is to kind of get you just self-sufficient, basically. But then there are some therapists where the idea is to kind of just, I only I can fix you. 
and you'll get up with some chiropractors. I say some. You'll get up with a vast majority of chiropractors as well. He's like, you know, no, you, I, I am your fixer. I'm your mechanic. You are mine for the rest of your life, basically. Yeah, but I mean, I think soft tissue definitely has its benefits. It can, you know, it can lead to getting people moving. It can, in you know, it can show people like just by, by touching them and relieving pain for a short period of time. It could be like, okay, well now we've relieved that pain. How about if we get you moving a little bit? You know, because some people have like an absolute fear of certain movements. So sometimes you can actually get soft tissue as a bit of a buy-in. Like, okay, well let's let's do this uh, soft tissue work, etc. Do this, okay? Does this does, does, does this feel better? Has it at least changed uh, sensation? Yeah, it has a little bit. Okay, cool. Well, how about if we get you moving a bit more, etc. Even phone rolling. I'm not 100% against phone rolling, but if we can get someone to buy in and lead them to being kind of more active, then yeah, fair play. I totally believe soft tissue has its place. It's just that I don't agree with some of the claims made by other people. I think I would I would always be cautious if anyone says that their approach is the only way to do something, is the only way to achieve something. I think, and and there's that's probably... Um, that's probably rings true in a in a whole host of different aspects. That even goes with strength training as well. I'm bicycle strength training, but for some people, you know, at the end of the day, there's no magic bullet for exercise. It's just about getting moving at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. I just just to caveat all of this with so as a as a level five soft tissue therapist, there is a, a massive difference between that and uh, like a sports masseuse. The level of training and uh, knowledge is is very different, and so it's not just turning up and you just know, getting touched, being, yeah. yeah, being you know rubbed for a little bit. Um, and it, equally, I've I've heard some horrendous stories of people that think that being beaten up for you know the entire time is is what it should be. And there are certain occasions where um, it will be very direct and it's going to be uncomfortable and perhaps extremely uncomfortable. Especially with sports massage therapists in particular. Yeah. But I think, you know, if you're leaving completely covered head to toe in bruises, I'd, I'd, I heard someone uh, say a very similar thing that that after they finished a session with a, uh, a sports masseuse that they, you know, the next day were covered in bruises. Well, that's GBH. That's not um, yeah. a proper treatment. Um, <laughs> and so there is a real difference. So if you're going into a, into a treatment and you're not having someone conduct proper tests to see where the work needs to be done, uh, if you're not having a proper consultation with someone about what that looks like and what needs to be, and if they're not explaining why they're taking the approach that they're, they're taking then it's probably worth asking whether they're the right individual to be able yeah. to deliver. Yeah, 100%. I, I would also say as well that, so the organisation that I'm with, the RSRM, the Institute of Sports and Remedial Massage, um, they, I'm not, uh, this isn't a sales pitch at all, but um, I consider it to be a great, uh, a great qualification. Not all therapists are created equal. Some will come with different experiences, different backgrounds. But they have a directory on their website. So at least if you are looking for some soft tissue work, you can put in your postcode or area and you know that the people they return will have done at least the same level of basic qualification that I have. They might have the additional bits that I've got. But if you're a bit concerned that someone is just going to string you along and take your money from you, then they're probably a better place to start from it. No, it's a fair point. That's a fair point. Anything else to add, Tom, on 
the magic of soft tissue therapy? <laughs> I, I no, did hear, no, no, no. I heard your uh, your recovery uh, uh, the recovery one it was massage episodes back. Uh, absolutely slating. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's why we have different people on. You know, we are we, we're not, yeah, we're not an echo, echo chamber. chamber. You know, we like to hear different opinions and yeah. We did. To be fair, we didn't slate it too badly, did we? We did. I mean, well, there, there was the caveat. The, the caveat that you that you were making was specifically in line with uh, with recovery. Yeah, and I think mm. one of the overarching yeah. things uh, that that came out to me was um, if you're doing it uh, directly after events or directly before events. Yeah, yeah, to a degree, but. The percentage of people that I deal with that are directly before or after events. So I've done pre and post event work, um, but that's very niche. Pre event work, um, like the London Marathon and stuff like that, for example, uh, that that's I would suggest predominantly psychological rather than mm. having a tangible or a massive tangible benefit. But if that's you know, and, and I'm very open about that as well. If it works, it works, kind of. Yeah. If, but if you know, if if taking the time to do that uh, and having the psychological benefit that comes with it, then drops ten minutes off your marathon time. Well, then that's a complete win, surely. Regardless, no, of that's a fair point. I mean, uh, is this kind of like kind of in line with my view on ice baths as well? It's like there will be so London Marathon, for example. You know. Depending on what you're doing, you will literally just do anything if there's a chance of it working, even if it's via placebo or even if it's, you know, psychological or like uh so yeah, totally. I agree with that. What I don't like is when people say, No, you know, you, you need this, you know. Rather than just being like another tool in the toolbox. I don't like when people say, No, no, you need this or you need it because you're broken, you need this because it needs to fix you, etc. Where it's like, no, no, it can still like it can still help. Same with ice baths, you know, still help. I don't think they're absolutely necessary. I don't always think that the difference is massive either. But, it, you know, when you're trying to pull out that extra 1%, fair play. I mean, uh, especially in regards to things like pain, etc. with DOMS, there's this whole thing about nociception, etc. changing, like, modulation of pain, like how we actually perceive it. And just simply, it's like... One of the best analogies I heard recently with pain is like when you stub your toe, the first thing you do is you grab your toe. Why? It's got nothing to do with blood flow. It's just that you're just changing the sensation, aren't you? You're just changing the sensation of what that pain is. So with massage, if it helps change the sensation, fair enough. And that is actually something I've relaxed a lot more on since we recorded that episode. And it's ever since I heard that analogy with a toe, actually. It's like, do you know what? I've had leg days since I've recorded that episode where I've just sat here with a fucking Ferragun of all things. <laughs> you know, I spent a whole episode slagging those off and then I went and bought one a month later. You spent but, 300 pounds on a Ferragun? Oh, no, no, three, like a couple of months later. I spent, No, it's like a £30 wish job. Yeah. <laughs> They're just hooked up to the mains. <laughs> it's, yeah, from Wish. But no, you I mean, like it... Yeah, flash your head. Yeah. <laughs> Going crazy. It's like a part taser as well. <laughs> but no, I mean, um, like... If it changes the sensation of pain and discomfort, fair enough. But I don't want to be over-reliant on it. And I don't want to make some false claims of it either. Yeah. I've got a, um, I've got, I think it's like an eBay special uh, percussion gun. Um, I definitely wouldn't spend £300 on one personally. Um, 
it, it gets a fair amount of use. I, I wouldn't use it on a client. Um, Do you know what? Kind of, sort of, kind of gone off topic here. But you know, as engineers as well, you guys might respect this. But there is actually a YouTube channel where this engineer just picks up everyday mechanical products and then takes them apart. And he talks about them as he's taking them apart. And he actually, so Ferragun is, is that the most expensive gun on the market? Because that is well, the daddy, yes. isn't I it? I think of so. Mas- it's one of the biggest brands, I think. Of percussion yeah. guns like that. Those are a lot of money. And as he's taking it apart, he's just saying how shoddy it is. <laughs> you know, he's saying, like, this is just awful. He says, it looks fantastic on the outside, but nothing's, I, I can't use engineer terms, so I'm just going to start throwing out random buzzwords that probably mean nothing. I'm probably bastardizing them, but the gears are out of alignment uh, and this uh, congealed and the cylindrical Cosmo what is not, yeah, all this and that, all this Cosmo weird what? engine. I, I'm not an engineer, you know, I don't know. I'm just throwing out buzzwords. Do I fool you guys, though? Do I sound like an engineer? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the yeah. gozzle yeah. But I mean... Um, <laughs> sounded like an officer. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly. As long as, it, as long as I'm confident with what I'm doing, it sounds like I know what I'm doing. Uh, and that's how I get away with most things in life. But yeah, I mean, um, like, so it goes to show, like, yeah, like an eBay special, like what you just said, it gets the job done. You ain't got to go for these big brands. As long as it has, like, a motor and goes, duh, 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 fair enough. Although I am suspicious of anything from Wish since the past year. <laughs> <laughs> Probably wouldn't leave it on charge and then leave the house. Yeah, I mean it's plugged into <laughs> yeah. the mains, so that's worrying. <laughs> no, so you picked up on that. I picked up on there. Sorry, Jace, was that you said you wouldn't use it on a client? What? Yeah. So you use it on yourself. Yeah. But you wouldn't. Why would you not use it on a client? And what was? Yeah, it's quite interesting. Yeah. So, so I, I wouldn't do it. Well, a couple of reasons: um, cleanliness, uh, naturally, um, to be able to use that on multiple clients. Um, the the sensitivity is the biggest thing for me um in that it's it's almost impossible to know how much you're actually yeah. putting in and so th- obviously you, when you're actually doing manual therapy it's very different and your hands become yes. very sensitive to what you're you know doing. how much pressure you're putting on at the end of the day yeah and, and it's it's not just that and it, it develops so um throughout a treatment it will vary depending on where you're working and how long you've been working on a specific area. And so there are like bigger muscle groups, for example, um, it'll take time to work through the layers to get to where you need to be, which isn't, is the nuance of, of manual treatment um, is just completely blown out of the water. In my opinion, if you then bring in uh, a gun that's absolutely just pounded on something, I do think they have their place. I just, I personally, because I can't, I wouldn't be able to be consistent with the results. I then wouldn't be able to give that the same treatment to two different yeah. clients and know that I was giving the same treatment, and therefore it's not something I'd be willing to do. Do I know something, Jace? That's one of my pet peeves: seeing personal trainers of all people using ferro guns on their clients. I've seen it. So here we're going back to one of the uh, yeah. The, <laughs> the, 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 the talk um, one of them would be qualifications. And I know, uh, like everyone knows, that having qualifications doesn't make you good at anything. But it does show a level of education, academic um, academic exploration at least. Um, and yeah, that is, like, how are you possibly justifying that? Um, how are you, if you get it wrong, how do you look from an insurance perspective as well? Like, where on your PT insurance does it say under level three personal trainer qualified to use Theragun on someone's left calf? I don't think insurance would cover that, no. Because as you said as well, it's very hard. We were 
percussion gun in particular to judge how much pressure you're putting on as well. Yeah. And, and you know, you know, you can tell it. if you're using them yourself, there'll be occasions where you just hit a spot and you're like, oh, God. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. How, how were you able to judge that? And so, yeah, I think you could go, I could go off on one of this completely. And I do know therapists that, um, that use them. It's just, in my opinion, that's probably not the right way to go and not something I would be comfortable with. Do you know what I think as well? When they use these tools, I've seen chiropractors use all these mad shit as well. They love they love a good fucking gimmick, don't they? But I think it's more of like, it's almost like a bit of a show. If you're using this like really funky, funky yeah. technological advancement looking tool, it makes you look a little bit more, I don't know, techie, a bit more snazzy, a little bit more like, okay, oh, what's, he, what's he using here? Oh, what's the, yes. what's this feels different. This feels different. They're using, they're using a, you know, an advanced system on me. This is amazing. And I think that's a little it's bit like of a, an a illusion, isn't it? It's like pulling yeah. out the magic hat. I mean, even if we go like hundreds of years back and we think about the theatrics, acupuncture and cupping we've spoken about before, but how the theatrics can add to that placebo effect as well. If we go back hundreds of years and we go back to things like bloodletting, like if, listen, if I was a peasant in my little, you know, outside my my, my baron's medieval castle and I was having a bit of bloodletting as you do on a Sunday, you know, before you get your wife done on the guillotine or whatever you know but like <laughs> what what is more theatrical than that and then you say what is this doing they're going well we're draining you of all your bad blood and then you're actually watching them making a decision you're watching it drip you're gonna be like yeah i feel fucking better already you're still dying of the plague tomorrow but you're like yeah i feel great <laughs> yeah uh, these tools and just the visual aspect of what's theatrical. going on mm. can yeah definitely definitely i think ferraguns in particular part of that Jess, we're going to move on to the last bit now. Uh, and this is this is where things could get spicy. So everyone who's listening, go on your seats. This this could get awkward, could get intense, could get fucking, could get fiery. Do you want to go first or shall I go first, Tom? Right. I, I'm actually terrified of what you might ask. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to go first. And actually, like, this is usually where I'll just bring out a really stupid question. But actually, because I've generally been enjoying the conversation so far... I want to ask you a serious question. That is, in regards to fitness uh, with the with the British Army, or let's just say the curriculum currently, this could be to do with the the learning aspect of PTIs or the actual curriculum of you know taking the, the, the blokes through training. What would you change? What would you change? What would you change tomorrow in regards? What would you like to see different in regards to the curriculum of fitness in the British Army? Hmm. I wouldn't change the curriculum. I would change the assessment for uh, qualifying people as PTIs. Yeah. And it wouldn't be... And I'm not saying that it it 100% is now fittest gets through, but I would suggest there's probably still an element of that that's the case. I think um, looking at a whole host of other metrics to be able to get uh, perhaps a more well-rounded all-arms PTI... For the reasons that I spoke about in my uh, in the initial bit, um, would automatically lead to a better quality of delivery, better quality of session, better education across the board. I think that's probably where I would see, and that's a relatively small change to be able to to I think achieve a massive difference. Uh, actually, a quick question for you guys because I don't even know this, but do PTIs have like a probation or? 
do you get like a yearly review or is it just once your PTI or PTI? Unless something obviously serious happens. So you've got you've got to fill out a little book, like a log book, with any uh, session you deliver. That, um, does, this, does it get filled? Yours definitely, obviously, yours gets filled. There's an, if there's an audit coming up, Tom, it'll be backdated for six months in a day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's what happens. Uh, and you're supposed to do uh, there's our <laughs> annual deficit training that we've been doing. It's all online, or and you have to go away for a day. Yeah. Like some where they'll basically just update you on what's happened in the army. So like the new role fitness test, for example, which is the new one of the new fitness tests in the army. They'll update you on things like that. Uh, but in terms of like probation, as you said, it's kind of you do before you go on the course. You're supposed to work in the gym as a it's called a grey jumper. So it's where you wear obviously you wear a grey jumper and you basically mirror the other PTIs and you just kind of. Um, you just basically follow them around to see what they do and then they're supposed to basically prepare you for the course so when you go on the course you're ready to go that's the idea of it but I've heard cases after cases of where last minute people have been thrown on courses just because the unit's got to provide a PTI and, and you know it's been a short amount of time that's happened uh, and then once you're on the course and you get out you get out you're supposed to then work in the gym for about six months so that you can sort of solidify all your training because at the end of the day, it's like a driving lesson, isn't it? You finish your driving test, you're a shit driver until you put it into practice and you just keep driving and driving. Same with this, you should be keep delivering PT. But I know cases of blokes who will come off their course and then they'll go back into uh, a combat role and they won't do any PTI and they might do one session in four months, which is yeah. no good because you're just going to forget everything you've just learned. Uh, but then you, you could be called upon at any time to then deliver a physical training session. But you'll be like, fuck, what do I do? What's a warm up? What's a fucking, you know, how, what, what do I do? And then the, the next thing you know, you get a shit quality lesson. People like Jace then think you're fucking useless and they come <laughs> moan about you on the podcast. <laughs> do you know what? Um, that is a, that's a good point. And like, I know we do have some PTIs that listen to this, so I might trigger the fuck out of them, but a lot, a lot of regular blokes just assume PTIs are wearing a vest, you know, because this is what I used to believe, sit in the office and just flex in the mirror. But a good PTI is constantly grafting, not just in the gym, but also when they've got their downtime, they are reading up on things. They are, they are changing their belief system. They're reading up on the latest research, etc. I think, like as I said, like the British Army is going in the kind of right direction, and I think there's a lot more networking going on as well amongst the PTIs that live and breathe it. Network in regards to the kind of working off each other. More, saying, I've, they're I've more the PT core though, Tom. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that's... Yeah, that's... A, the, yeah, that's you got to remember, that's yeah. that's like a completely different... So the PT core, you expect that because that's like their entire job, that whereas PTI is a unit. They are soldiers, tradesmen, whatever, and a PTI. So if they don't give a fuck yeah. really... They probably won't bother doing this extra research in their own time. They'll be playing FIFA instead. Turn up in the morning, whack a few cones out and go, lads, round the cones. No, that is a fair no. point. Maybe it should be a way to bridge the gap, you know, a bit of work yeah, experience just... with the... But I think I think that 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 comment about uh, addressing how you select people to go on all arms PTI, that, that would sort that out. You're, you're selecting out the people that don't really have an interest, but just see it as a Bucker's addition to the people that could actually make a massive change, but perhaps don't as run as fast as that other guy or girl, or uh, doesn't look, doesn't fit the stereotypical mould of what you would expect to see in a white vest. I think the issue is, uh, we, we, anyway, we have at our unit, is that appeal to go on the course. There's a lot of, uh, for example, one of the squadrons we've got, they've only got one PTI who's about to leave the army in like about a month or something. And, They've had no one want to do it. And they've had two people since he's been saying he's going to leave want to come do it simply because they were told they're doing it because they need a PTI and they've both failed 
one of them just couldn't get past the test and the other one actually went down there and failed the swim test um, <laughs> and this is the problem so they're not they're they're having to sort of lack the screening because they're just that desperate to have someone insured to deliver PT because they haven't got anyone and unless you've got a, like a nice selection of people to choose from the quality of the people getting sent is never going to be at the high level we need it to be because the army just needs numbers don't they they need bods on seats for insurance purposes for you know manning issues and and i think that's always going to be an issue i think that that i've never been in a, a unit where there haven't been people jumping at it to to try and really? get on course yeah i think that's um that's quite interesting actually as it shows the army, it's just everywhere you go is going to be different, isn't it? Right, so let's, shall I bring my little secret question in? So, <laughs> this is where things get interesting. So, you mentioned it a little bit earlier. Tom's about to erupt this. You mentioned it a little bit earlier, and we did do an episode on this very recently. So, let's, if people are long term listeners, they'll know what, what our thoughts on it, and I will link this in the show notes. But um, you refer to how you were sitting earlier as bad posture. Oh, now, <laughs> what did you think I was going to say, Tom? Oh, I'll tell you later. <laughs> 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 but you referred to the way you sit in as bad posture. Now, what I want to know is, what is your sort of? If I said to you, posture right now, what would you what would you say in terms of good and bad posture? So, the example that that I was talking about then was that I was very much slouched onto one side, uh, and. I'm feeling it all up my left-hand side here just because of the position that I'm in rather than distributing everything evenly or relatively evenly across my back. Would you... So you're saying that position you're there in now is causing you to feel more pain than it would be if you sit in a different position? Yeah. So this is an unsustainable position uh, for any extended period of time. And it's... I'm sitting in it because I'm not consciously thinking about my where my body is in space i've just kind of relaxed into it and and then i've only noticed it when it's become uncomfortable because i've been sat in it for too long but could you then say that if you was sat like ramrod straight uh, or optimal whatever that is uh, would that be a sustainable position for longer yes i think I think there's there's the risk that uh, you get to the point where we consider sitting in general as being uh, in in this garments, you know, chairs and stuff, um, which is an interesting topic. There's a guy, um, he's called, I think, The Natural Runner on Instagram. Mm. Uh, really interesting guy. He talks about grounded living, and he's basically removed all of the chairs from his house so his family live on the floor. And he talks about... Um, about you naturally transition between different seated positions on the mm. floor. Um, yeah, okay. So I think that's a really interesting area for a break. <laughs> but, um, I'm, I'm just very conscious of it because this is probably the most I've sat down on a chair for a very long time because I've got a standing, a makeshift standing desk at work. And so I spend most of my time good at. What's the name of that account again? Uh, just yeah. so I know who to direct child line to. <laughs> <laughs> genuinely uh I'll, I'll see if i can find a four while we're, we're talking <laughs> what do they do for roast dinner on a sunday <laughs> ah he's, so his name is tony riddle and his account is the natural lifestylist um really interesting and he's he's very much into like um barefoot living uh yeah. i'll have to check this guy out yeah He's got some interesting videos on um, 
on YouTube interviews and stuff that he's done. He does he does kind of go into a tangent where he talks about kind of um, hallucinogenic trips and stuff, which is probably oh now we're talking yeah the extreme end of uh, yeah of where I'd be willing to consider that, um, but. Especially yeah. when you've got somewhere to sit down whilst you're tripping, <laughs> yeah. you know. <laughs> but, yeah, there's, there's, some great, there's some great pictures on there about um, just kind of movement in general and stuff. He's a really, really interesting bloke to, and a different avenue to explore. What you said earlier about you'd be able to stay in that one other posture longer. Would you then agree that any posture can be uncomfortable depending on like there's no, there's not one of them is going to be worse than the other. You will, be, your body like will just go wherever it wants to be to be more comfortable. Like you've gone into your position there because you feel more comfortable in it initially, and it's only until you've thought about it that you've gone, oh, maybe this isn't this isn't optimal for me. But then if you were to then sit in your optimal position for like this, for example, upright, you know, shoulder blades back, whatever, you might think, you know, from what you know, that's optimal. But after a small, after, even after a small amount of time, that might feel uncomfortable. And then that yeah. could lead to, do you know what I mean? So any, I feel like there's no difference between, like in terms of your body will just go where it wants to go. Yeah, I think I think it's an interesting, uh, mm. an interesting area to explore. I just think um, there's a difference. There's a, a definite difference between you know a slight discomfort and mm. uh, a complete, um, you know, stretch of one side of the body to the other that leads to. No, that's fair enough. Yeah, I think um, we'd all. I think we'd all individually be different in that regard as well. Like just like how we move in different ways, I think our, we we have posture in different ways as well. I think we slouch in different ways. So for example, yeah. my slouch might be comfortable, but it might not be comfortable for Bill. Whereas the way Bill might slouch, if I was to slouch like that, I might not be that comfortable, do you know what I mean? But yeah. I, I I think there are so for example, like um, years ago, I fell asleep sitting on a chair, actually. I fell asleep on you know, those big high back dining chairs. I fell asleep uh, with my arm over it. Now, obviously, I f- this isn't necessarily posture because it's more about how I'm manipulating my joints, etc. And that, when I woke up, that, would, that was absolutely killing me. But I think it's because I'd, been, I'd fallen asleep and I'd forced my, my body into a position that it's not used to being in. And I was in absolute shit state. But with me, it's like I'm I'm most comfortable with whatever position I'm in at the time that is most comfortable. So I might be most comfortable slouched over, but then eventually after spending like a prolonged amount of time in it, I'll get discomfort. So I'll just shake it off and I'll sit up. But then after a while, I get uncomfortable sitting up like this. So then I've got to slouch forward again. I think it's it's, it's okay to kind of just, you know, slouch or be of your posture it might not look attractive let's be honest particularly so this is something me and bill uh have caveated a lot of the time and that is in the military posture does matter <laughs> it does you know if you're if you're on the drill square posture matters doesn't it at the end of the day uh and if you don't think it does then you know you will soon find out it's not the case but i mean i just <laughs> like sitting at home and stuff i don't think there's any one posture that is inherently dangerous i'm not saying that certain postures can't cause pain it's just that it's subjective to the person and it depends on how long you've been sitting in that position. There's loads of other biopsychosocial factors that kind of like add on to that as well. So for me, like if I was to constantly think, uh, you know, like this is bad for my back, this is bad for my back, this is bad for my back, mm. then I'm going to have You're that perception to yourself, change my sensitivity yeah. to that posture. Yeah, I, d- I think there's also an- another avenue to consider is the fact that we are much more... 
uh, sedentary or much more static for a much more extended period than historically we would be. So oh, yeah, when you're, yeah. you're thinking about moving through positions, you know, however many hundreds, if not thousands of years ago, stopping moving would only be to light a fire, to cook something, to sleep before you then move again. So the the default uh, position is actually one of natural movement um, and it's only broken up occasionally by sitting down, whereas now we're in a, a very much a sedentary life uh, state where the bulk of your time is spent transitioning between these different static positions because we just don't move as much as perhaps our bodies are uh, biologically evolved to do. I mean, for sure, being sedentary contributes to pain. Yeah, it's one of the reasons why I suggest to people if they are, you know, in chronic pain or have even had an injury, it's not actually just do the usual advice, which is don't do anything for the next month, you know, try and get them moving again. But yeah, for sure, being sedentary can contribute to pain especially chronic pain especially lower back pain of all things actually yeah oh, so no that's pain, that'll fair just point. Not, yeah well, have you got any more questions Tom no no you've not got any more either <laughs> <laughs> I need to know what question you thought I was going to ask because we, we could ask when we end the show <laughs> ask about the we, show we, right, yeah and then we can just keep it a mystery for the rest of our lives until we're all discharged until well, people, oh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I know it's going to go now. But. Wait for me to discharge first. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, oh, that question. Yes. <laughs> oh, that the question. penny drop now is it? Oh, and now God, listeners yeah, are I, like, oh my god, this is juicy, what, what the hell? and it is, is juicy, big. but we are not it doing juicy. it live. We we'll wait till we've uh, finished the recording. <laughs> yeah. I cannot afford to lose my resettlement. Um, <laughs> yeah. <it's, it's, laughs> um, Jace has been great having you on. Uh, it's been a really long chat. Uh, and I hope you've uh, I hope you've enjoyed being on. It's been a pleasure, uh, Jason. One, la- one last question I will ask you though, mate, is is it coming home? Uh, oh, I'm, wrong answer there. Oh, wrong too answer. Long. Be, uh, in an effort to to save your predictions, Tom, I'll say yeah. Why not? So if we do lose on Sunday and people are listening to us on Monday and it's not come home, they're going to blame you for jinxing it, Jay. So I'm they're just 100 blaming you, you as we mentioned at the very start. Oh, you're telling me now? Delegating the blame here. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> It's what you get paid the big bucks for, isn't it? Delegation. Yeah, uh, exactly. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Delegating the blame. Been a great chat. We'll probably have to get you on again because some of those other pet peeves just sound quite juicy. So we might have to explore those further. No dramas. Cheers, boys. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Been a pleasure as always. Uh, and I'll speak to you all again very soon. See you soon. As always, thanks for listening. I'm sure you're absolutely chomping at the bit to find out what my real secret question for Jace was. And well, I suppose it's only fair I reward you for getting this far. So the secret question was... So yeah, we could have got into a lot of trouble for waiting on that one, but hopefully I've put your uh, your mind at rest now, basically. Um, anyway, due to other commitments, we will see you not next week, but the week after. Same time, same place for a brand new episode. See you soon.